Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hi there, welcome to session 120 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a fantastic start to your day. We took a much needed break and a little bit of a, a mini vacation and headed down to um, to Virginia to the Charlottesville area, I guess about a week ago now. And just to relax, uh, we were big hikers. So we wanted to check out Shenandoah National Park, which was amazing. And uh, we, well, it's actually a pretty funny story, but we had planned to do this seven mile hike up in the, uh, on one of the trails and ended up getting slightly lost uh, and ended up seven mile hike turned to closer to like a nine mile hike. And, and the elevation difference was like the start of the trail to the end is like 900 feet, right? So that was a, it was quite a bit of a trek to do that, but we survived and, uh, we just had a wonderful time. Uh, if you guys are part of the Selling the Couch email list, I actually sent a picture of picture that we took, and you can join that at sellingthecouch.com forward slash newsletter. Good to be here and uh, good to connect with each of you. And uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. Today's podcast topic or conversation is just such an important topic. It is all about setting fees in our private practice. How do we set fees as clinicians in a way that feels right for us, that serves our clients, and that also holds the the motions and all of those things that often come up for many of us when we do think about setting fees and, you know, questions like, oh my gosh, if I charge this amount, you know, what will people think of me? And all of those kind of things. My guest today is Ofer Ganal. Ofer is is actually he has a wonderful history. Ofer is the the spouse of a mental health private practitioner, someone that's in the selling the couch community, Riza Ganal. Riza, uh, shout out to you. But Ofer is as trained as a physicist, but he has really interesting things. Apparently, a good percentage of physicists have a background and interest in finance as well. And uh, Ofer has this passion for small business and and helping private practitioners talk about fees and setting fees that work with them. And Ofer, for the past couple of years, has been working with Riza in her private practice and also with some of their friends and just in setting fees. And he started to notice uh, just a couple of themes around and notice the struggles that many clinicians have. So in today's podcast, we're going to talk all about that, all about setting rates, 
How do you set rates that kind of make sense for you, that make sense for your clinicians? How do you start to look at uh, setting rates so that it doesn't become a strictly emotional decision? And then uh, we're going to wrap up with a couple of just really practical tips when it comes to setting rates for your practice. And Ofer has this um, awesome worksheet that he put together, which I'll mention uh, how you can download that at the end of our conversation. But before we do get to today's podcast conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the folks over at Theranest for supporting today's podcast session. Uh, Theranest is private practice management software that makes it super easy for our clients to be able to schedule appointments and for us to be able to write case notes and bill and all of those kind of things. They're used by thousands of our colleagues all around the country and around the world. You can learn more about them at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest. And there's a nice little discount for our community. So we'll get right to it. So here's my conversation with Ofer Ganal from OferGanal.com. Hi, Ofer. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hey, Melvin. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. We had connected a while back and you were just like so knowledgeable when it came to retirement and setting fees. And I was like, Ofer, we have to maybe do multiple episodes but because you know so much. But I'm looking forward to our conversation because today we're talking all about setting rates and setting fees for private practice. And I know this is something that a lot of clinicians really struggle with, not just at a practical level, but I think even deeper at an emotional level. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I've seen it on more than one occasion. Yeah, well, I wanted to start there because you do have such a unique vantage point by which to experience this. You've also had a pretty unique career. So tell us more about the career and this unique perspective that you have. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Actually, I would like to go back like many, many decades, perhaps more decades than I care to cop to. But (laughs) back when I was four, according to my dad, he already knew that I would be a physicist. And I won't go into the whole story. It's kind of an interesting story, but it's tangential, so I'll skip it. But suffice it to say that throughout my life, up until the point that I was going to school and college and then grad school, it was indeed in physics and math. And so I ended up getting my master's in theoretical physics in something called superstring theory, which a physicist that I knew when I was back in my undergrad said to us, if you believe in super strength theory, you may as well believe in black magic, <laughs> which, you know, OK, that's fine. That didn't deter me. But then I realized that it was really all about math, like really, really high end theoretical math and not so much about physics. And so then I kind of went to the dark side or the light side, however you want to call it. And in my PhD, I did experimental high energy particle physics and did part of that at CERN, the European high energy physics lab outside Geneva. Then once I finished my PhD at age 30, I moved to the US and started a postdoc in particle detector research and development. And I will kind of insert a note that is not directly relevant here, but just uh, as a hook for later, that at that time I had a negative net worth, which is not happy making, but it is what it is, right? So then I did my postdoc at Texas Tech and after about five years, I uh, moved to Maryland and started doing work in experimental cosmic ray physics and did that for more than a decade. 
And then right around beginning of 2009, I decided to move on to industry. And I started working as a systems engineer on NASA projects. Then almost two years later, decided to go off on my own and open my solo consulting company. That was in 2010. And so I did uh, more like one-on-one, well, actually not one-on-one, but as an individual working on projects at NASA as an instrument systems engineer and later doing astrophysics technology development management, which I still do today. And on the side also helping uh, government contractors and wannabe contractors work on their proposals in order to win these very lucrative engineering service contracts. When I say lucrative, we're talking like between a quarter of a billion dollars and half a billion dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how much money is there. Hmm. Now, in parallel to all that, I, you know, met Risa, my wife, and then helped her set up her private practice. Then I set up a second limited liability company beyond my solo consulting company and did that one to buy an office condo, which is rented out to my wife's practice and to my consulting practice and to several other solo practitioners. And just in general, as you can kind of glean from all of this, the background, I've always had an interest in and perhaps even a knack for finance and small business. And this is a point where I can actually tell you that there's an amazing number of physicists who start in physics, get their PhD, do some research work, and then end up moving to Wall Street and working in high finance. Because it turns out that the same skill sets and aptitudes like analytical thinking and number literacy and being able to pick up quickly on complex things and help render them more simple are things that are really helpful in finance. You know, I never realized that. Actually, the, the first time we talked, I ended up speaking to my brother who actually, I, yeah, you don't know this, but like he has an undergrad in physics and he's now an, an IP lawyer. And I was like, that's so interesting that folks make this transition to, to finance. And I don't know, I just thought it was really interesting. It made sense like after we talked about it, but I was like, I never knew. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have expected that myself. And, you know, it was really something that... At some point, I was considering just totally dropping physics and all of that STEM stuff and moving totally to finance. But ultimately, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't because that allowed me to stay long enough to find the place that I'm at now, working with NASA and doing some really, really amazing stuff there. Like just to give you a, a real you know, tip of the fork kind of feeling for it. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the Hubble Space Telescope. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of the James Webb Space Telescope, which is going to be launched in, I guess, next year, like late next year. And they're already working on the one that's going to follow in the late 2020s called WFIRST. That stands for Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope. But the stuff that I'm working on now is helping NASA identify the technologies that they want to invest in for the thing that will launch in the 2030s to take over from WFIRST. Talk about (laughs) planning ahead, but that skill set, right? The ability to not just focus on the present, but the ability to anticipate and plan ahead. I imagine that that's such an important skill set when it comes to, to setting fees and setting rates and figuring all of those things out. Absolutely. Is just the being a, a consultant, which is what I do most of the time. I have to set my fees, you know, whether hourly or daily or per project or whatever. And that's been an ongoing, you know, thing to learn and to improve. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Fair, you said earlier that uh, you had a negative net worth at one point. Uh, tell us more about that and, and feel free to go into as much little or as whatever is comfortable for you in terms of detail. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So I came from Israel and the salaries in Israel are by and large lower than the U.S. by a significant factor. And they were even smaller back when I was still there because we're talking now like 1980s, 1990s. And so the result was that when I finished grad school and came here, I had basically to borrow $6,000 from my dad so I could afford to buy a car. And, you know, that's buying one car used. And that's just where it was, you know, I was just, uh, I'd sold everything that I had in Israel, you know, like a really high end hi-fi set and, you know, whatever, and had a little bit of money from that so I could afford to buy really, you know, cheap furniture and be able to pay like the first month's rent and stuff like that on an 1100 square foot home. And, you know, there were four of us. I was uh, still with my first wife then, and we had two kids, a year and a half and three. And let's just uh, say that uh, ramen noodles were very handy because I was earning $31,000 a year at that point, And my wife was not allowed to work because I was here on a J visa, which does not allow the dependent to work. And 31000 for four people, even back then, did not go as far as one would want. And yeah, you know, this is kind of like almost, I would say, a typical story uh, for someone who's coming to this country you know, from somewhere that is much less developed that, you know, you find that you have to struggle and you scrimp and you save what you can and you do what you can and you just take it from there. So then by being as careful and astute and savvy as I could and as I could teach myself to be, by the time that I left academia 16 years later, I had a net worth that was, you know, pretty solidly in the six figures. But that's in a situation where I was earning a lot less than I could be earning simply because I was in academia, where salaries are notoriously low. I wanted to transition because you have such a powerful story. And it's not just, you know, like you're abstractly thinking about this, right? Like you've actually experienced the struggle, realizing even I imagine in multiple points of your career, realizing that what you were making was difficult to sustain a family and feeling like you were worth more. In your experience, why do you think so many folks struggle to set their fees? Well, I think that there are two major portions of this. And one is that we are just not taught how to think like business people. I'm talking about most of us, not those who go on to get MBAs and such. But if you think about what you learn in elementary school and middle school and high school and even college, how many people are actually taught how to think like a business person? Not many. Yeah, oh, I know I wasn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. And you know, you went a little bit beyond just uh, undergrad, right? So, I mean, even if you go all the way to the PhD, if you're not in a financial field, if you're not in the business field, then this is just not something that they teach you. So that's one thing. The second thing, which I think is especially true for therapists, which is, after all, what we're here for, is that it's a self-selecting sample of people who are super empathetic. Like, that is the most amazing and characteristic thing about therapists, is to be effective, you have to be empathetic. But the problem is that that spills even beyond therapy and into the money aspects. So it's sort of like, oh, I can't possibly charge as much as I would want to, or I can't charge that much, however that much may happen to be, because it's like, you know, people would be unhappy with me. They'd think that I'm a money grubber. They'd think that I wasn't, you know, about service and about helping, whatever. 
But the thing that a lot of therapists forget when they do that is that, you know, setting rates as a business practice really ties in with setting boundaries. And it actually even models for your clients appropriate self-care, right? Like if you set your fees way low, then you're not really taking care of yourself and your family. And you're not doing things the way that you should be, but rather kind of like from an emotional and I'm not even sure how to say this, but a place that brings in a lot of considerations that are, let's say, they don't contribute to doing things the right way. And in general, I think that you probably have experienced that humanities are far less respected and rewarded in our society when you compare, for example, to engineering, computer science, finance. And, you know, when everybody around us tells us all the time that we're not worth that much because we're not getting paid that much. You know, if you think about agency jobs that pay you 24000 30000 36000 something like that, and you see that even a, a beginning attorney, let's say, charges $250, $300, dollars an hour, then what does that tell you about how people perceive you and how worthy of respect and compensation you appear to be? But the problem with that is that when I look at it, I see, and this is something I tell my wife very frequently, that I envy her because she gets to make such an amazing difference in people's lives compared to what I do, let's say, at NASA. Like if I stopped working at NASA, like if I just said, you know what, I'm done with this, goodbye, then, you know, it's nothing severe would happen. Yes, some of the stuff that they do now at a higher level would probably be done at a lower level. You know, I have enough of a arrogance to say that, but nobody's life would really take a turn for the worse. Nobody's going to suddenly decide to commit suicide who wouldn't. Nobody is going to the divorce who wouldn't. You know, it's like that it's not a real difference in people's lives that comes out of what I do, but that does come out of what a good therapist does. You know, I think when I know that I struggle with this, uh, which is this idea of when I'm in the moment, like care about my clients, but I forget that what I'm doing, you know, just that even at a basic level, right, the ability to fully focus and listen to someone and, and guide them through whatever difficulties they may be dealing with, right? Whether it's individual, couple, whatever it is, right? I always f do f sometimes forget that it's, it really is in some ways life or death. In other ways, it's, you know, it's exactly what you said. It's the ending of something, the starting of something. These are weighty things. Absolutely. You know, Risa was recently at a, the Networker Conference in D.C. The Psychotherapy Networker, right? Yes, exactly. And she shared with me something that Brene Brown said, that just really struck me. And Brene Brown was just calling on therapists to overcome their sense of, of shame in their profession. And I was like, what? How is that even possible? Right. Like you guys make such a huge difference for people in pain. You help the rest of us, you know, kind of like maintain our sanity, our important relationships. And that's with whatever life throws in our face, whether it's a, this challenge or that or this trauma or that. And, you know, it's just like, that's why I want to help therapists to be able to do well you know, while they do so much good, it's just incredible to me that somebody could be could feel and experience shame at doing something that is so profoundly a contribution to people. I love that you said that. Like, I, I really do appreciate that because I, I think I know that for many folks that are listening, it sometimes it's hard to like to feel that and to and to hold that. You know? Yeah. And there's actually a couple other things I wanted to kind of weave into here, and this is something that's true not for just for therapists, but for everybody. You know the saying that familiarity breeds contempt? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, what I do and what I know is transparent to me. It's sort of like water to a fish. And so it's very easy for me to forget the value of what it is that I do and what it is that I know. And there's this wonderful story about Pablo Picasso. And I don't know if it's a true story and it really doesn't even matter. And the story goes something like this, that Pablo Picasso goes off to the park and he's going to be sketching there. And a woman walks by and she recognizes him, does a double take, and then she feels bold enough to approach him and say, you're Pablo Picasso. Could you possibly, you know, sketch me? And, you know, that'd be just so awesome. And so he kind of looks at her for a few minutes and he uh, flips over to a new page and he takes his pencil and he just in a single line sketches her and, you know, he shows it to her. And she's like completely amazed. Wow. With just a single stroke of your pencil, you just caught my essence. That's just incredible. How much is that? So he says that would be $5,000. And she's totally outraged. What? It took you just seconds, a single stroke of your pencil. How could you possibly charge that much money for it? And his response is, Madam, it took me my entire life to make this sketch. And, you know, this is something that is so easy for us to forget. You know, that's the moral of the story, that what you sell when you're a therapist, it's not just your time sitting in the, the session with your client. It's all the knowledge and training and expertise and experience and talent and empathy that you have accumulated through a lifetime. So, you know, that's something that's worth so much more than just the bare minimum that many therapists feel comfortable with, you know? Yeah, as you were saying that affair, like I even think about my own process in setting fees, whether that's in private practice or courses that I have or anything like that. And I do, and I totally fall into that trap of, I see it as the clinical hour, right? As that mm -hmm. 60 minute space, for example, but I don't see it in terms of that 60 minute space is actually the accumulation of all of these previous experiences, right? It's Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like you're just looking at the rubber meeting the road instead of at the entire car, you know? But without the car, the rubber meeting the road is useless. You know, it's like on Shark Tank. It's like one of my favorite shows. <laughs> Mine too. You know, yeah, you frequently see the sharks are asking whoever is proposing to them, you know, please give me so-and-so, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for 10% of my company. And they ask them, how much does it cost you to make this widget that you want to sell? And how much should you sell it for? And when somebody says, oh, it cost me $100 and I'm selling it for 140 then they're like, oh, you need to bring your costs down a lot or you need to increase your prices a lot because that is not anywhere near enough of a margin to make it compelling. And so this just tells you that in general, in business, people do not set prices, at least good business people do not set prices solely on what is the minimum that they feel people that they can live with that people would be willing to pay. But what they're looking at is what is the value that the potential client perceives and that is actually there for the potential client in what it is they're providing. So let's say that I could create, you know, just some kind of a widget that if you were to plug it into your socket and then plug your, you know, your various appliances into that, it would suddenly reduce your electric bill by 90%. Okay, this is a totally impossible in terms of physics, but just let's assume that for a moment we've totally disregarded physics and reality, but just as a hypothetical. Well, if you pay $2,000 a year for your electric supply, and now suddenly you're going to be reducing that by 90%, then this is worth $1,800 a year for you, right? So if I was to charge you $5,000 for that widget, and that widget can survive for decades, then you would be stupid to not buy it, right? Now, let's say it costs me $0.10 cents to make the widget. 
should I sell it for 15 cents so that I wouldn't be making more than 50% profit? I don't think so. Yeah, such a different way of looking at things. Yeah, and it's really important. You know, it's like if I am a therapist and I charge too little, then the result is that just to support myself and my family, I will frequently have to take way too many clients. So I may have to see 8, 10, 12 clients a day. And I've heard of many, many therapists who do this. Yeah. And well, I mean, and that's the thing, right? That's personally, I feel like that's a formula for burnout. And exactly. It's like, to me, like the first question I ask as a therapist is, do you want to tell me that you truly believe that the therapist who sits in that chair at the eighth session provides the same quality and the same attentiveness and the same empathy as the person who sat down in the chair for the first session? And I'm there to tell you that no, absolutely not. By that point, you're fried, you're half listening, you know, you're thinking about, you know, when's my day going to finally be over? And it doesn't serve your client well, let alone you. Oh, fair. As we wrap up, I wanted to just get into some really kind of practical tips. What would you say, like, are just three practical tips on how clinicians can start to set their fees and think about setting their fees? Well, the first one is something I've already touched on, which is that setting rates is mostly about your clients or should be mostly about your clients, not you. You know, it's about what value your clients see in the help that you give them to deal with the stuff that they have to deal with. And, you know, if you were in their place, what value would you place on having someone help you solve what makes you suffer emotionally in your life? And so it's time to get your emotions out of the way when you set your fees. So that's the first thing. And, you know, the second thing is kind of related to it is that nobody expects you to do this kind of as a charitable endeavor. You know, it's like you're doing this as partly how you make your living, right? Not just to help people. It's also to provide for your family. And if nobody else expects you to do it as a charity, why would you? You have to make enough of a profit to support you and your family, which means that you have to do a business budget so you know how much you need to be making in order to make the kind of profit that will allow you to, you know, to do well. And, you know, it's like I said also before that if you have to take so many clients in a day that you're burned out by the, before the end of the day, then you're not serving yourself. You're not serving your client. So those are the most important things that you have to really, you know, put yourself in the frame of mind of doing this in a way that really follows solid business practices. Yes, you also have to think about your clients, but that doesn't always mean making them pay less than you should. Sometimes it's you have to make them pay whatever the appropriate amount is based on how much it costs you to get them to have that seat in front of you, right? Again, such a different way of looking at it. Well, you know, I do have a very distinct and perhaps unique frame of reference because I am you know, I've set up and run several small businesses myself, and I charge people for my time. And I do that kind of like in the consulting world in NASA and stuff like that. But also, I've been working, helping my wife with her private practice in, as a marriage and family therapist. And, you know, I really do see how a lot of therapists, and it's not just her, it's also a lot of her colleagues and friends who have a really hard time charging what the value that they bring is worth. And that's just not okay for me. You know, that's that's not cool. Afer, I'm grateful for you, grateful for just your heart, I think, to serve. And uh, grateful that we were able to have this conversation. I feel like it's an important one. And I, and I know that a lot of our colleagues will get a lot of value out of it. Tell us where we can reach out to you and where we can learn more about the good work that you do. Sure. So I'm in the process of setting up my new website for this. It's simply my name. OfairGanel.com, and I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. 
And if they go there, then among other things, they'd be able to download this free PDF worksheet that I put together for you guys that is about setting your rates the right way. And if they just you know provide their name and email address, then they'll get that into their inbox. And it has kind of like a little bit of the background that we spoke about today and also gives them the worksheet that they can work on and a sample worksheet with numbers that I made up that are kind of semi-plausible that show them exactly how it works. So uh, that's one thing that they can get there. And I'm also working on, it's not ready yet, but I'm hoping to launch uh, probably early September, a course on how to set up a six-figure practice. Awesome. Ofer, thank you again for doing this. Well, thank you very, very much for having me on the podcast. And you know, I'm really looking forward to helping as many therapists as I can. Take good care. Thanks, you too. Hey gang, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ofer. I don't know, for me, I think just sitting back and, and hearing that conversation and hearing from someone that's not necessarily in our profession, but is indirectly in our profession, I think that was just, I don't know, very freeing for me. And I think just some of the different perspectives that Ofer presented, I don't know, there was something just really nice about that. I think to be just fully transparent, I think setting fees is something that I have always struggled with. And there's just a lot of stuff wrapped up in it. And Ophir touched on a lot of those. Like, for me, it's always been, um, you know, I feel like I have the training, I have thousands of hours in this profession, and I love what I do. And I love serving people. But I've always struggled, I think, with do I want, you know, what if I charge too much? And is that an indication of, you know, what if people can't afford it? But the other side of that, and I, and I started noticing this, is that when I was charging lower fees, I felt like I still did good work. But internally, not that I was resentful uh, toward my clients at all, but I think I was sort of internally just mad at myself that, you know, like, Mel, why can't you, you know, why are you having such a hard time charging what you're worth? So um hoping that today's conversation encourages you, inspires you, and kind of just gives you a different perspective on things. Show notes to today's podcast session can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one two zero. Ofer's website is again at com. There's a lot of really great stuff on there. So I encourage you to check it out. We would love, actually, we're going to continue this conversation over and the Selling the Couch community, which you can join at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. I invited Ofer to be part of the community because I wanted for him to just be a resource for us, especially I know that this idea of setting fees is something that many of us struggle with, including myself. So yeah, again, you can join over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. And as we wrap up, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Theranest for supporting today's podcast session. Uh, Theranest helps behavioral health professionals manage their practices with uh, lots of ease and lots of efficiency. You guys should check them out because they have a range of different things, all the way from payroll reporting, the ability to co-sign and review notes if you have a supervisee or if you have someone that, that needs co-signatures, you can also do your own notes as well. Clients can schedule appointments. Clients can create their own portals to take care of billing and all of those things. And uh, you can even create custom forms as well to build and grow your private practice. And they've got some pretty cool analytical things. 
data and stuff like that. So you can actually figure out what's working, what's not working, all of those things. Again, they gave a wonderful discount to our community. And you can find that discount at sellingthecouch.com forward slash TheraNest. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you again for taking the time to join. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.